You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Bill McAllister filling in for Stephen Henderson. With the nice weather, also comes a new season of films hitting theaters. Uh, Summer usually brings big action films, superhero movies, uh, other popcorn flicks. We'll talk in a bit about uh, what films you may want to check out at your mega multi-superplex. But first, let's talk about some of the films that may resonate a little bit longer if you check them out at the Detroit Film Theater at the DIA. And joining us is Elliot Wilhelm, curator of film at the DIA and director of the Detroit Film Theater. Welcome, Elliot. Thank you, Bill. Good to be here. Always. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, now, I have to start with a story that uh, you may not, you're not going to remember. You're no, not going to remember this I'm remembering less and less these days. So <laughs> I, I wouldn't be the, that shocked. I know the feeling. Who are you again? No, I, am, uh, I know the feeling. Uh, this goes back to about 1990, and I was uh, working at the State Theater, which is now, of course, the Fillmore Detroit. And before that was the Palms. And Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And uh, we wanted to start a movie series, and it was suggested that I reach out to you. I did, and you helped us with uh, getting a distributor, getting a whole series set up, and that's about where your influence ended for me, because I believe you were showing La Femme Nikita that weekend. Wow. I and we yeah, went with Hellraiser 2. So, uh, Clash of I like Two Worlds. <laughs> Oscar worthy, both. That's but, right. Uh, but there you go. Oh, glad to have been a, of assistance. Thank you. But thanks for helping us out sure. uh, back then. They, I know they did that film series for probably four or five years. But uh, I, not to uh, open on a somber note, but we lost a great director yesterday. We did lose a great director, uh, Jonathan Demme, uh, who was just 73 years old. Um, had made a, an extraordinary career for himself. Um, and I was quite shocked when I read it. I didn't know he was ill. Apparently, uh, that was public in 2015, but it was still very, very upsetting to hear. Um, mm-hmm. There was actually a possibility that he was going to be coming to um, Ann Arbor this June for an event. And I was really, oh, really? looking forward to that. Um, he's someone who actually was important in the history of the. The DFT, one of Jonathan Demme's early films, I was going to call it a success, although it was a total failure at the box office. It was an artistic success on just about every level. It was a little movie that Paramount um, put up the money for back in the 70s called Citizens Band with uh, Paul Lamatt and a few other actors who people might have remembered from American Graffiti and mm-hmm. a few other films. Mm-hmm. And it was about this, you know, the, the Citizens Band craze in, in that era. But he turned it into a, a kind of a portrait of a number of different people who were all connecting via radio. And it was uh, sort of a, an early version of Robert Altman's um, Nashville. And it, it had that feeling of humanity about it. It was as if we were watching the birth of a, of a, a kind of a working class American Jean Renoir in which there were really no villains in the mm-hmm. piece. It was all about people's little quirks and their personality traits, and we recognize ourselves in these characters. And it was one of those pictures that slipped in and out very quickly. In fact, they changed the title in a desperate attempt to get the picture seen. Uh, They changed it to Handle with Care, which is even worse. It doesn't mean anything except it does. It's a play on having a handle when you're on a a CB radio. We played it at the DFT, and, and back in that era, one of the things that we specialized in was taking films that had been released but had not been released properly. Mm. Uh, films like Handle with Care slash Citizens Band, uh, Mean Streets, the Scorsese film. These movies played drive-ins and they played theaters that really didn't have any kind of promotional push behind them. 
So we ran them at the DFT, got them a new audience, put them in front of a different kind of an audience, and we were very happy that, that people loved the film, as they did a few years later when Demi did Melvin and Howard. But our big relationship with him, I guess, came in uh, 1984. I was invited to a screening in New York of a movie concert film about the talking heads. Love it. It's called Stop Making Sense. And the distributor of the film invited me as a friend, but not in any way as something uh, that, that might be for the DIA to run. Uh, I, walked, I, I walked out of the film when it was over, absolutely on cloud nine. I was ecstatic and I grabbed the guy. I said, listen, you, you have to give me this film for the, for the DFT. It's incredible. It's magnificent. It's great. We'll do whatever, whatever you want. No, 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 no. I don't think it belongs in a, in a program like yours. I think it belongs only in a commercial theater. I pretty much got on my knees for right. Stop Making Sense and promised him that it was going to be a hit at the DIA. It was, until that day, it was the biggest hit that we ever had. We, we really? sold out every wow. show. Um, and it really was just a great experience for the audience. It was a great experience for us, and it was a real thrill. Um, and I, I got to meet, actually, Jonathan Demme a few years back. It was 2010. Oddly enough, it was a party at the Toronto Film Festival for a Woody Allen picture, one of his mediocre um, films. He, he you know, made a lot of little pictures, continues to. Sure, some yeah. of them okay, some of them not okay. This one wasn't great. And for some reason, I got invited to this party. And Anthony Hopkins was there. He was one of the stars of the film. And oh, that I, I went because I thought Naomi Watts was going to be there. It turns <laughs> out she didn't show up. But Woody Allen was there. And in walked Jonathan Demme, who I recognized right away. Sure. And I introduced myself. We started talking a little bit. This is the amazing thing about him. You know this. He, he, he's somebody who will not drop a conversation if somebody, you know, quote, important, unquote, comes into the room. Mm -hmm. And Anthony Hopkins walked over to him and he said, oh, I'd like you to meet and did the introductions and got into the conversation. Hopkins, of course, was very happy to see him because he had directed him in The Silence of the Lambs, gave him a big hug and said, you, you made my career. You changed everything for me. Oh, that's uh, people, great. People loved Jonathan Demme. Um, and he didn't just spend his time in Hollywood. He made documentaries about Haiti. He made political documentaries. He made documentaries about Hurricane Katrina. He was always involved and causes and issues and was kind of a tireless champion of, of various issues, um, made Philadelphia, of course, which was one of the, the first Hollywood movies, commercial um, and, and relatively conventional, but you know, beautifully made movies that addressed the AIDS issue head on. Um, and we're going we're gonna to miss him. There really aren't a lot of Mavericks like that in the industry anymore. Uh, and one more person who's began his career under the tutelage of Roger Corman, Detroit's own Roger Corman. I saw Roger Corman tweeted something out yesterday about Jonathan Demme. Did he? I'm what not surprised. a huge loss it is. Yeah. And younger brother as well died pretty young too, didn't mm -hmm. he? Yes. Ted Demme. Yes. And uh, also Barry Jenkins um, had very nice things to say about Jonathan Demme yesterday. So it's, it's, a, it's a real loss. If someone were going to watch a Jonathan Demme movie this weekend to sort of uh, encapsulate what he was all about. Is there one particular movie? I mean, Silence of the Lambs was huge. Philadelphia was huge. Is there one movie, maybe your favorite, maybe people aren't familiar with? He's done a lot of really fine work. Um, I have a very, very sentimental attachment to Melvin and Howard, uh, which is about the story. It may be a fantasy. It may be true. Um, 
I mean, we know that a lot of the facts around the story are true. Whether Melvin Dumar's story is actually true or not is, of mm-hmm. course, up for debate. But it's about the legendary Howard Hughes um, being picked up on a road by a truck driver um, by the name of Melvin Dumar. Uh, they only met that one evening, had a brief conversation. And according to Melvin, uh, when Howard Hughes died, his will, a copy of his will was dropped off at Melvin's gas station. And Melvin was given a huge amount of money, left a huge amount of money by Howard Hughes. The will was in dispute for years. There were all of these trials that took place. Uh, the thing was finally settled. I don't want to give away the ending if you don't know about Spoiler it. Spoiler alert. But it's it's both a beautiful portrait of something that may have happened, a great character study, and an American fable. He manages to do that without making any of it cloying or mm-hmm. coy. And again, he put Paul Lamatt in the part of Melvin Dumar, a wonderful actor, um, and also um, Jason Robards in a smaller role as, as Howard Hughes. But Mary Steenburgen, who played Melvin's long-suffering wife, um, was wonderful. And he has that ability, um, Demi, to balance comedy and pathos uh, and, and sometimes tragedy with such accuracy and, and such feeling that these characters are sketched really, really fully. And he never stepped over the line in terms of making something um, overly you know, mawkish. And he also didn't go for cheap laughs. He was one of those people who respected movie audiences. He respected us and wanted us to be um, equals in his eyes. He didn't condescend. Uh, and, and that kind of filmmaking is, is really rare. Uh, this weekend at the DFT, A Quiet Passion, uh, you're screening. Tell us a little bit about uh, about that film. Well, to carry a train of thought, this is another great humanitarian filmmaker. Uh, Terrence Davies makes his films in a slightly different way. He's, he's more austere, I guess you'd say, than Jonathan Demme was. But this is a, a portrait of Emily Dickinson, a uh, 19th century poet who is very... Um, I guess we've all had to study Emily Dickinson in school and in some ways we don't want to we don't want to read any more Emily Dickinson some of us because we've we've learned it we we're tired it's of been it been there we, done that we did it in high school yeah. but as Davies very beautifully portrays along with his actor uh, Cynthia Nixon who plays Emily Dickinson in her adult stages there's a, a younger actress who plays her in her the early scenes uh, this was a real person. This was a person who was ahead of her time, had incredible conflicts, um, had amazing talent and passions that were really, uh, the title of the film is A Quiet Passion, but it's not that quiet. She, she was somebody who could really uh, cause a stir and a fuss and was uh, a feminist, but also had to live in a time in which simply expressing herself could very often get her into serious trouble. And it's about the struggle to be creative, what it really, really means. I mean, she wasn't published much in her time. She wrote her verses out longhand and then stitched them together as, as little booklets of poetry and sold them. Mm-hmm. Now it was the original Vanity Press, I guess. And like so many other great authors, later on, she was discovered. Um, but Terrence Davies, who has always made films about characters who have been abused in some way or suffered abuse, as, as Davies did as a child, horrible abuse, um, wants to see how people overcame it and different degrees of abuse, different levels. There's spiritual, there's physical, 
there's there's both um, there's cultural I mean there's there are all kinds of things that can get in your way uh, and the idea of, of becoming triumphant in a creative way after that and using that in a sense as, as a way of expressing yourself the, either rage or fear uh, that that might grow out of that but to channel it into something that is going to be moving to other people and is going to communicate with other people is what Terence Davies in all of his films, uh, his previous film Sunset Song, based on a great Scottish novel, uh, his, his uh, Deep Blue Sea, and of course his early autobiographical films, The Long Day Closes and Distant Voices, Still Lives, about his own childhood, are magnificent works of art and certainly visually beautiful. This is going to be a tough one for some people um, to watch because it is an unconventional biopic, to use a kind of a, a clumsy term about films like this. But it's one that, again, like Jonathan Demme's films, was made by someone who clearly respects his viewers, respects his audience, and above all, respects his subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Bill McAllister. We're talking summer movies with Detroit Film Theater curator Elliot Wilhelm. also want to open up the conversation up a, bit, uh, a little bit and talk about films hitting the big screen. Will you go to the movie theater this summer? Do you still like to go to the movies for the theater experience? Or do you prefer watching films on demand at home? I have two little ones, so that's pretty much our life right now. Getting out to a theater is uh, it's a tough one. Uh, should more movies be available for purchase through your cable provider or online? Give us a call, 313-577-1019. I want to welcome film critic and screenwriter Jeff Myers into the conversation. How are you doing, Jeff? Oh, good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So, uh, big summer blockbuster season, which seems to start earlier and earlier each year. I recall last year, uh, Batman versus Superman. Uh, Sadly. One of the great triumphs of modern cinema. Oh, it's right up there with Citizen Kane. Start our previous director. Uh, that's right. And uh, it, it was in, it, it, I believe it was in March is when it hit screens, and they were calling it a summer blockbuster. Is it just getting earlier and earlier? Um, yes and no. I mean, blockbusters have, uh, been released in March and on for quite a while. Um, I remember they said almost the exact same thing when the matrix came out in March and everyone said, Oh, it's a summer movie. Um, I think that, you know, once you clear February, uh, February, all, all, uh, you know, it's, it's open season and the studios, um, are all kind of jockeying for um, when they can get their tent pole in front of people and not be in competition with the other studios' big tent poles. And in particular, everybody wants to steer clear of Marvel um, just because they're the you know eight thousand pound gorilla. Sure. Uh, what movies are you looking forward to this summer? What's what's going to be the big blockbuster? You feel? Well, obviously, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, the the volume two is going to be a juggernaut. I mean, uh, advanced screenings have already been well received. They're they're selling tickets ahead of time. The first one made three quarters of a billion dollars. Um, so uh, I think that's pretty much a shoe in for being um, the big movie of the summer. Um, and I would say it's the one that kind of kicks everything off. It opens May 5th. Um, and that seems to be, Marvel has seemed to stake that out as um, its day. 
um, that first May weekend. Um, it seems that they've said, this is ours, and if you want to go against us every year, we're going to have some gigantic movie that you will probably get buried by. Um, what I was surprised about looking over what's coming out over the summer is it's a little less uh, sequel-heavy than previous summers. Um, there are still six six or seven good sequels. <laughs> Pirates the of mix. the Caribbean 14, I believe, is this summer? Uh, yeah, that's actually not coming out uh, for a while, <laughs> but you've got the Alien, uh, uh, really, I guess, the Prometheus sequel, which is a Alien prequel. Um, you've got... Um, You've got a new Transformers movie. You've got a, a new Cars movie. Um, you've got uh, a new Planet of the Apes movie. Um, you have the whatever the 27th reboot of Spider-Man, although it seems like this one might actually uh, have a little more promise than previous ones because Marvel is actually more involved with it. I had my fingers um, crossed. I was saying, please make one more Spider-Man movie. There yeah. haven't been enough <laughs> since 2000. Please make another one. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. And yet, um, b- people are a little excited about it because it's the same Spider-Man that was in the Captain America uh, Civil War movie, um, which certainly had more life and, uh, for the first time, actually cast an actor who was literally a teenager, um, not in a, you know, not a 20-something playing a teenager. Um, we'll see. The director, um, like a lot of Marvel films was kind of plucked from indie film. And he had made a wonderful film called cop car. Um, and this is his, uh, debut into the big league. So it'll see what he can bring to it. I'd say the movie this summer that I'm most looking forward to is Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk, mm-hmm. um, which is, uh, a world war two film, uh, about the true story of the rescue of the allied troops on Dunkirk beach. Um, and it's also the film. It's interesting. It's the film that he really wanted to make. And it's also the movie that made him now the highest paid director in all history, which he was paid $20 million to direct the movie. Uh, that sounds great. And, uh, some good choices there. Some, I'll be honest, I'm just going to skip over them. And, uh, Jeff, thanks a lot. (laughs) Jeff Myers, thanks a lot for joining us on Detroit today. And, uh, Elliot Wilhelm, as always, you are a legendary status here in Detroit. Ah, when Uh, you become a legend, uh, you don't have to say anything. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. Uh, Austin Powers turns 20 next week. I, man, talk about time flying. And so does Dr. Evil's rocket ship, the Big Boy statue, if you recall that. We'll tell you about the Detroit connection to that scene coming up next.